0: It's tournament time, and our special guest on this edition of the Seaco Sports Forum, Coach Jim Tufts. How are you? I'm
1: well, great, thanks.
0: This is our busy season, right? You're doing the officiating, and I'm up there doing the PA thing.
1: I, I sent a text to some of the guys that are still coaching, and just the favorite time of year. You know that the the it's warm. The kids want to work hard. They're on task. Um, it, it's something to play for, and it's just. It's just special time of year.
0: Well, it brings up a good good point. Now, from you're an official and you've been doing that for years, as far as the officiating is concerned, do you guys and gals ratchet it up a notch? Uh,
1: so you you remind each other. Like I had an eight nine game the other day, uh, so going to be a great match. And so the, you know the other guy and I talked about it and said, hey, let's you know let's really be sharp early and set the bar so we know where it is and, uh, and the kids know, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it means more. And you can tell the way the the kids are on task. You can tell the way the coaches are a little more involved. And, uh, so, you know, you do, you, you talk about it beforehand. Yeah.
0: Now taking it back to from being a a coach and all the years of experience you had coaching, especially soccer, we'll, we'll focus on the soccer, when you don't have a, a dominating season. Okay. How do you motivate your team heading into the tournament? So you're, you're maybe in that eight, nine bracket or, or in the lower tier.
1: So, so you sort of go back to the, you know, the mantra you hear on television with all the, uh, pro teams, it's a new season. You, you know, you've, you've, all you want to do is make the playoffs. I mean, hockey shows you that every year What the eight takes out the number one Bruins it's a new year it's it's everybody's zero and zero and everybody's got a chance and sort of why not you and uh you know you know a good deal about your group and you know a good deal about who you're playing and uh so you know why not you so you know it's it you don't go into it say hey i'm the 12th seed you go into it saying we have to beat them once
0: would you rather be undefeated <laughs> Uh, or and have a bullseye on your back and also have a, a, a kind of a monkey on your back too because you know that's the undefeated season is a hard thing to accomplish the odds are against you or or would you like to work your way up the seeds
1: um so there's two sides to the coin it, it it's interesting because it's a it's a real so you have two different separate things there um there are a lot of people that feel it's really really hard to go into a playoff, having not lost. You know, you haven't faced a little adversity. You haven't uh, you haven't been on the other side of the coin. And so, you know, when, when are you gonna face that? And so, you know, there are a lot of people that say, ah, you need to lose one going in. But the other side of the coin is, you're the higher seed. You should have in the first round, a reasonable draw. Uh, And you're probably going to have home field for much of the playoffs until you get to neutral sites. So you want to be as high as you can be. So it used to be interesting. So the NHAA has gone to 70% of a division makes the playoffs. So there's no set number. It might be like, for instance, in division one boys, I think 15 teams made it this year. There are other groups where 13, make it, 12, make it, eight, make it. And it used to be, and that's a change, it used to be either 12 or 16. And when it was a 12 playoff, you kind of always wanted to be the five because you played in the first round. You played five, played the 12, and then you went to the four. And so you had a chance to play well, that other team sat for a week. So you came into that quarterfinal game having just come off a competitive game, but against the lowest seed. So you, you kind of always wanted to, to be the five, Um, but you want to be as high as you can be, but you also want to have faced a little adversity. It's dumb to, tough to go undefeated. I, I played two finals at 19 and 0. And we lost them both, or 18-0 and 1. Uh, and it's tough to run the table. It's tough to run the table.
0: And as far as motivating the, the squad uh, in that particular situation where where you're you know, getting bullseye on your back, everybody wants to take you out, uh, is there any special coaching techniques that you have?
1: No, you just got to make sure they're ready. You know, it's a fine line between overconfidence and underconfidence and being prepared. You know, if you're unbeaten and you think you're the cat's meow, you you worry as a coach about overconfidence, that you're not, you know, not ready to go from day one, right from the kickoff. Um, And then if you're the low seed, you know, you've got to, you got to make them believe they can do it. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, each of them presents different challenges.
0: Some players have uh, upgraded skill sets or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Uh, do you kind of take those individuals and say, now this is what I'd like you to do in this situation or
1: under these conditions? Yes. And, and every athlete, from top to bottom, from superstar to important 15th man, Um, has got to know their role and they've got to be ready to play. And each of them has different buttons and different um, contexts that you need to address. I remember one soccer playoff and I had two pretty good goalies and they both brought something to the table and really had to make sure they were both ready to play and told them which one was going to play. And it was an eight, nine game. It was an eight, nine game down at Winniconnant and um uh, tough call and which one was going to play. And I made the call and talked to both of them and told the second kid to be ready. And guess what? Early in the second half, the first kid got a concussion the second kid came in and played great and stopped the penalty kick in overtime. And we won. Mm-hmm. So every kid's got to know their role and every kid, I I tell you who was really, really helpful to me in recognizing that was, was Cass Donovan when she was athletic director. And one of the things that she reinforced and taught me was every athlete on the roster needs to have clearly defined what their role is and where they fit Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know if they were coming in as a sub if they were um the first kid the 13th kid or the 20th kid that if you get in the game this is what i'm going to need you to do and um got to make sure everybody's ready you don't know first soccer final we were in um four overtimes at uh, against manchester memorial and Peter Perrick at Memorial put a kid in the game who was a soccer kid, but he was a track kid. It was really fast. He had not played. And guess who scored the winning goal in the fourth overtime? <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's making sure every athlete on the roster recognizes their value knows how important they are to everybody else and uh, that the best kids play as they're capable and the role kids fill their roles.
0: And and another skilled position, the person that has a lot of pressure on them is the goalkeeper. Now, is there a special technique or methodology that you use to keep that person focused?
1: No, and they're all different. The, it, it, again it's it's the the good coaches that um know their kids and our teachers know their personalities know their personalities and uh and I've had goalies that they were really good and they let it run off their back cuz sometimes didn't know the score and and you know it was sort of irrelevant and they were just doing their job and then I've had kids that were highly and and really, really bright. And, and each of them takes a different touch, a different, uh, approach, a different, so, you, you know, you, you, you gotta bring the kids that get excited back down to, you know, the middle, and you gotta take the kids that are pretty calm and settled and make sure that they're on task. Um, so, um, Again, it's, it's uh, a good coach needs to know their kids and know what each of them, you know, some kids need a, a swift kick and, and uh, a big stick and you need to go at them kind of aggressively and other kids, if you do that, you lose them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the bill balls and the Deb Grotz and the Jeff Holmes and, and, and you know, you go down the list, they know their kids. Mm-hmm. They know each individual student athlete and what's what's good for one is not necessary one size does not fit all. Mm-hmm.
0: That makes you, sense.
1: That you makes have, sense. You gotta have to uh, have you gotta know your kids.
0: Kids are coming up and, and they're being trained properly at the at the younger level. And so when you guys are able to get them as coaches uh, at the high school level. You, you can kind of size up whether there's potential there and and if there is how you you can cultivate it yeah
1: yep. and the the youth coaches in every sport you know i always said the uh, youth soccer programs and seacoast united and and all those coaches had a lot to do with our success and jeff would say the same and billy would say the same about the seahawks and and megan young would say the same and deb grott and You know, those youth coaches do a tremendous job and, and they, you know, they come up into the program and those kids know what's expected out of them. And they, and, and then when they get there, the older kids in those programs do a lot to set the bar and say, hey, this is what we expect of you. And if you're going to be a varsity athlete, this is what you're going to need to do. I had this conversation this week with a couple of teams where, you know, I was going and it, it, particularly in the lower divisions, three and four, there's sometimes varsity teams of 13, 14, 15, 16 athletes mm-hmm. and uh, Lock nation is, you know, it's, it's legions and, right. and Billy's got them. Megan's got them. Danny's got them. Jeff's got them. Um, they, every, back basketball field hockey um you know the the kids the kids in our community it's cool to be an athlete it's cool to be a good student and those are the expectations and kids join because it's fun
0: and kudos to the the coaches at at the younger level who you know cultivate this talent for for the for the high school level and, and and down the road and and the parents, the families that support the kids and get them out there. And and I've noticed, especially with soccer, um, you know, it, it's become a booming sport for sure.
1: Uh, no question. And and much of our success, and Megan would say the exact same thing. And Danny would say the same thing. Much of our success in bringing home and being in finals and bringing all titles had a lot to do with, those folks that got them to us. No question. You know, I always said right from the very first one, we won. Um, every one of those youth coaches and every one of those youth programs uh, had a piece of that trophy. No question.
0: Now we're into tournament season. Size it up for me, what you're seeing uh, in the different divisions in the NHIAA.
1: So the Division One boys was really spectacular. So in the first round, so there were five or six in the first round and three of them were decided on penalty kicks after two overtimes. So there's parity, you know, the, the Blue Hawks were fortunate. Um, you know, they, they prevailed at, at Londonderry in penalty kicks, uh, Nashville South went to Pinkerton and, uh, one on penalty kicks, which was a bit of an upset. So there's two upsets there. And then, uh, Memorial Central, which was the 13-4 game, uh, Central at the four spot, stuck into the quarterfinals on penalty kicks. So, um, you know, Division One boys was just it, very even, very even. And uh, so, you know, I think that says the division, you know, next round could very well be very similar. Division One boys will be competitive, I think. Hanover and Nashua South, who have, that's been the championship game the last two years. And I think they're the two favorites. They could be ticketed for a third straight final. Uh, The Division I girls, uh, Timberlane, and I've had many of these games, Timberlane girls are very good. But BG is very good. Exeter is very good. Bedford's very good. Um, You've got some good teams in there in in any given day. yeah, And, uh, you know, those are going to be that's that's a wide open tournament. The girls' tournament, eh, Timberlane is a favorite, but not a heavy favorite. You think anybody in the top eight in girls soccer could win? Division two, boys Lebanon looks like the best club, but there's some good clubs in there. Um locally, uh, I think the Newmarket Girls. Uh, have a great chance. They, they, Andrew Dawson at Newmarket does such a great job with his program, and uh, I think they've won two in a row, and they're the number two seed, and uh, they've got another great chance. that and, and they lost some great they lost some great players. One of whom is um, on the roster at UNH, uh, you know, from Division Four, New Hampshire High School, and very good, and. They haven't missed a beat. You know, everybody else has, has uh stepped into their roles and done it. Andrew's done a great job. And so I think the New Market girls locally have a great chance to uh to be back be back in the finals. Um so it's some pretty wide open tournaments.
0: The girls, it'll be a super Sunday coming up. Sunday the fifth. We have division one, the unified division two uh, tournament that day and uh yeah.
1: It's always you mentioned mentioned unified Exeter, Exeter unified, number one seed again.
0: Amen. Yes, yes. Always look forward to that contest, and uh, Catherine Nichols always has her team tuned up and ready to go. So
1: she does. It's uh, unified. Nobody, no school does unified sports better than Exeter, and with Catherine and Sharon Orchard and Billy Ball and everyone that's. Been involved with the unified program for the last uh, ten or eleven years since it's gotten going. Um, they've just done a great job.
0: Yeah, it's a highlight of Super Sunday, Super Soccer Sunday for me. I, I enjoy all three games, but that one in particular, I know, like like you say, the uh, kids put it all out there on the on the on the pitch. Ooh, yes, ooh, ooh, <laughs> on the pitches, when we get official. One question I've had come up, and and again back to officiating uh in soccer the last five minutes of the game go down to the pitch onto the field and the officials um so people and this came up a couple of years ago in in one particular game the five minutes dragged on for like 15. what is the actual methodology
1: soccer has been on television so much in the last five to ten years you know we've had the men's world cup the women's world cup um the Champions League, and and it's become um, normal for people to watch soccer, international soccer on television. So you get this stoppage time. And even kids in high school are talking about, you know, what's the stoppage time? What's the stoppage time? So as an official, um, the scoreboard is not official time. The official time is always with the the lead official and you'll see them after goals scored with their hands up and they're stopping the walk they're, basically what they're doing is stopping their watches. So there isn't in high school sports there isn't stoppage time. they'll, they'll what they do is when there's an injury, uh, when there's um, a goal, when there's a, a card, so a stoppage of play, they stop their watches. And in many stadiums, not ball stadium, because the staff is very efficient in ball stadium, um, many times at venues, the scoreboard doesn't stop. It keeps going right through goals, right through injuries, right through. And so people are confused. And I often will say, I did this yesterday in my game. um, Clock will say, um seven minutes left and i'll turn to the coaches and say fellas we got 10 right Mm -hmm. now the clock says seven but i want you to know it's 10 Mm -hmm. just so that they have a good sense of it and i think um most officials will do that make sure the coaches have a sense of what the real time is
0: last five minutes are down on the pitch so to speak
1: they are calling out two calling out one and then counting down the last 10 seconds
0: before we change sports, I want to go to the college soccer. So,
1: so UNH, it's it's really a, it's not a unique situation. It's a it's the state of college sports. You know, if you watch the football these days, or you watch a soccer game, or it'll be the same in basketball. And every time, take Colorado for instance, and they'll say uh, or any of those teams. You know, um, quarterback is a transfer from so and so. The quarterback is a transfer from so and so. Everybody at Colorado came from Jackson State, or they came from here, there, everywhere. And so, when the NCAA opened the transfer portal and everybody could transfer in Division One without sitting out, it changed. It changed the landscape. You know, instead of being a young player who had to work your work your way up through the program and you had to fight for playing time, you had to prove yourself. Well, if you don't play, you transfer and you go somewhere else and you get a promise that you're going to get the play, or you get an NIL and uh, you negotiate your NIL. And I read, Sports Illustrated's got a great. Um, Story in the, one of the last issues about the NIL and and some of these kids in college. Angel Reese, basketball player, at Louisiana State. If she came out and went to the WNBA, her maximum rookie salary would be seventy five thousand. Wow, she's making a million five 000 at <laughs> LSU on and on on NILs and. They, there's a gymnast at um, LSU who is the highest woman, She's making almost three million. Bronnie James, three point three million at Southern Cal. He hasn't played a minute, yet. Yeah. Three point three million. So, but getting back to UNH, so um, Mark Hubbard does a great job of um, bringing in kids to fill the spots while being Cognizant and loyal to local kids. He's got a Southampton kid. Um, went to St. Thomas uh, starting at one of the midfield spots. And, uh, you know, he's got New Hampshire kids on his roster. But at the same time, he has brought in some international kids. So getting back to it, 18 new players on this roster that were not there last year. And five of them were captain for... They had played four years and were captains at Creighton, at Michigan, at St. John's. Uh, and they transferred to UNH as fifth year students because of the COVID year. And so it was essentially a new team. Yeah, And so they, they had to get it together. And their first uh, three league games were 0 or 1-1. And they really, took a while to get going, Uh, but they went to UMBC two weeks ago in a big league game. And UMBC is currently at the top of America East by a point. And UNH beat them 4-1, I think, down at UMBC. And sort of, then they beat Hofstra nationally ranked. And um, so they've got it going, but it's not uh, surprising to anyone, that it took them six or eight weeks to bring 18 new kids. Plus the kids that were there, you know, Yanni Bright, who's a Italian four-year UNH kid, tremendous player. He's, he, he is the best player on the field every game. Um, and he's a four-year kid. And uh, Bilal Kamal, who's an English kid, four-year kid. So these new fifth-year players, Took a while to, to gel, uh, but they're playing great. They're in, they're, UMBC has ten points, UNH has nine points, Vermont has nine points, and it's going to come back down to these last two or three games to, you know, see who wins the league. Regular season because they host, the America East tournament, so I think UMBC right now is in the driver's seat because they're up a point. Uh, Vermont and UNH who are tied and about point behind are going to play each other and one of them is going to sort of get, have a shot but uh, they're they're right now they're, you know they've been to five NCAA tournaments and uh, I, I read a stat the other day I think there's only three other soccer Division one schools. UNH is one of four that have been to five consecutive NCAA tournaments.
0: Two things, the name, image, and likeness issue and the transfer portal have changed all college sports because now it's just a factor of, do I go here, like you said, get playing time or get some publicity uh it it is changing it and and now i think it puts a lot of pressure on the coaches and a lot of the younger coaches are savvy to the especially transfer portal it's it's put a different spin on college sports in general
1: it's so different than it was 10 years ago
0: yeah it's when you when you when you wanted to play for the hometown team so to speak or the, the state college now it's like you got people coming from all over the world literally all over the world to play at your school and, uh, it's, it, it is, it's, it's different now, it is, it you, is.
1: You, you know, you get behind, uh, if you're at one of the big schools, Penn state, Michigan, Ohio state, one of those things, you've got a freshman, he's really good. And you're saying, oh, we may have him three years. We may have him four years and gets a better deal somewhere. And all of a sudden he's playing for a Southern Cal.
0: Shifting now to another love of yours and that is hockey. And, uh, we'll talk about that red hot start of the Bruins, uh, red hot season last year disappointing end for the season.
1: Dana Barben, local kid who uh, has had as much success as anybody could have, you know, the Exeter High, Kent School, UNH, played internationally and had a tremendous career coaching at Phillips Exeter. And he often says uh, they should change the name of the game from hockey to goalie. And that's the bottom line of why the Bruins are off to this start is Linus Olmark and Jerry Swayman are outstanding. It's got to do with those two guys. Um, And goalie goalie and starting pitchers um, can change a game. Uh, And a Tom Brady. Um, But uh, in hockey, goaltending is huge. And on the West Coast trip, both of them were outstanding. And I think the Bruins will have a chance all year because they're so good. Each of them could be a starting goalie and in the top five in the league, and the Bruins have them both. Uh, And at some point with the cap structure, which is why the Bruins are who they are this year, is because of the cap. Um, One of them might end up going somewhere else because they may not be able to afford them both. But for this year, we got them both and they're really, really good. So the, the Bruins are capped, strapped. But because of Allmark and Swayman, Sweeney looks like a genius.
0: <laughs> hey, do you think the Vegas Knights can repeat?
1: Uh, they could. But, you know, it's Maddie and I, my son Maddie and I had this conversation because, you know, we're, we're in the start of hockey and we're in the start of basketball when the high school sports are kind of finishing a season and, and Maddie said, why can't the seasons be longer like the pros? And I said, Maddie, they're not going to finish till June. Who knows what the Bruins are going to look like in June? Right. Who knows what Vegas is going to look like in June? Who knows what Christoph Porzingis is going to look like? I mean, this is any of those two. South's look like a great group, but over games who's going to be there at the end
0: and the only thing that they can't predict is injuries so right. that that changes the face of whatever sport it is I don't care if it's, it's yeah, and, hockey, basketball, and, baseball whatever
1: and, and, I, and nobody has said this but I am certain uh, Allmark was hurt in the playoffs last year He wasn't 100% physically, and they were trying to decide when they were going to go to Swayman and ended up having to play game seven. In retrospect, maybe should have played game five and given Omark a couple days off. Bergeron was hurt. There were a couple of guys dinged up. And hockey is very, very protective of not giving out the information. But in that series with Florida, there were some guys that were not 100%. And Omar was one that in the last three years, or was he? I think it was three years, the Bruins and the Celtics have won more total games than any other Celtics, more than any basketball team and the Bruins any hockey team in the last three years. And we're spoiled.
0: <laughs> we are we are spoiled, no doubt For about sure. it. And a good example is now the, the Red Sox. They just got themselves a new, not GM, they're calling him the head of baseball operations, Craig Breslow, who had been with the Red Sox as a pitcher back during one of their glory uh, series years, 2013, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as a pitcher. And, uh, I, you know, I, I wish the guy all the luck. Um, Pedro Martinez, they interviewed him when the search was on and Pedro said something that made a lot of sense actually he threw his name in there you know he he was being facetious but his thing is you have to know the market Boston you have to know the mentality of the fan base in Boston to be successful in that position whether you call it general manager or or head of baseball operations because you're under a microscope (laughs) every day every you know, day
1: there was a lot of talk in this time where they were looking for somebody and a lot of the talk show people were saying who'd want it yeah who'd want to sit on that seat that seat is hot
0: well i think pedro hit it on the head you have to love boston you have to put up with a lot of uh, stuff when it comes to you know the talking heads on the sports uh, talk shows or or the reporters and uh, the fans <laughs> we want success You you hit it on the head we want those numbers. We want those victories and 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 the cups and 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 the you know the, the hardware at the end of the season. Any quick prediction? on the World Series?
1: I, I think it's two teams that are playing. You know they're hot at the right time, and so you know I think I think the Rangers are a nice story, um, but it's going it, to I, I, baseball comes down to pitching. Mm-hmm.
0: Who, who shows up? Yep. And for the two-minute drill, what I want to do is, is double back to the schoolboy sports and and, and the wrap-up of the fall season as we get into the tournament. Uh, it's schoolboy football that will actually wrap up the, the fall schedule. Always the last one. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be interesting. we got some real dominant teams out there this year, uh, uh, Bedford and Pinkerton and uh, Salem and Londonderry are up there, and the Bluehawks are, are going to be in the tourney for sure. Um, I know coach ball bill ball never lets his team just you know, wander into the, the tournament. They're not going to be a top seed. So again, let's go back to what we were talking about with soccer. You're bill ball. How do you motivate somebody going into that tournament? Give me, give me your, your take, if you're sitting in Bill's position.
1: Well, we've been, you know, we're having gone in and out of that building every hour of the day for 40 something years, nobody's better prepared than Bill Ball and his staff, you know, with with Skip and Tommy and Cal and the Robs and his joke, when, you know, they do a great job of being prepared. And one of the thing that Billy and his staff always does is sort of a la um, Belichick, they take away what the other team wants to do they'll be prepared. I think it's a great situation for them. They've got a, a big one tomorrow with Dover, you know, that's going to have a lot to do with where the seeds are. And I think that's a, looks like a 50, 50 game to me. Mm. that will be a great game. And that's what you want going to a tournament. You want to have a great tune up and everybody healthy. And then you get to the tape. And like I said, they're, they're Sunday mornings at 7.00 AM and they're there late. And, uh, I'm not sure I could have been a football coach um, with the hours that Billy and his staff puts in. Um, they're, they're, um, they're just so good at, at identifying what other teams wanna do and then taking it away and trying to make them do something else. And Billy and his crew, whoever that is, Pinkerton in Londonderry, whoever it ends up being, They'll be prepared.
0: I'm always rooting for that Pinkerton Exeter matchup. Uh, because so you got ready. the two oh, you got the two old war horses with about 75 years of experience on the coaching sidelines going at each other, and there, there's a friendship there. But it, when it comes down to the game, it's game time, game on.
1: <laughs> those, those are two of my favorite guys, Brian and, and Billy. And they again, you go back to leadership, both those schools, they're. Programs play the game. Every program play the game the right way. They're accountable. They're sportsmanlike. They're respectful. They're competitive, and every single sport. And it has a lot to do with Bill Ball and Brian O'Reilly, because Two
0: great coaches, Hall of Famers, and
1: and it trickles down. Mm-hmm. And everybody that's on staff, whatever sport head coach or assistant, that's the way it is. And uh, so, it, 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 you know, we're in a new era, but there aren't enough men and women like those folks because they do it the right way.
0: Amen. We'll check back with you once we get past the uh, the tournament season and uh, check back and compare notes there. And also, of course, again, your favorite sport and one that you coach for many years, hockey. Yeah,
1: that that's a question I've answered a million times. What's your favorite? You can't do it. You can't do it. This time of year and soccer season is with it. The fall is such a great season around here. You know, if, for those of us new Englanders, the fall is awesome. And to be out on those fields, I, I said to my friends on the text, the coach to be at practice on a day like today, it's just the best. And, uh, so, um, uh, they're, they're both pretty, uh, it's still a tie. I want to give a shout out before we go to, uh, to a good friend of mine. So Tim Brousseau at Raymond high school, Tim, Tim is a Raymond guy and at one point coached the Raymond boys soccer and girls soccer simultaneously, uh, and to great success, to titles, to, ch- to finals and, uh, so uh, he coached his uh, his last game yesterday. Uh, he's coached the baseball program. Uh, just a great guy, and uh, he, he coached his final game yesterday. Lost a one nothing at Fall Mountain, and uh, the town of Raymond and NHIA Sports uh, have been honored to have Timmy on the sideline for for a long time, and uh, wish him well and great career.
0: Same from us, too. Look forward to having you back, uh, like I say, as we transition into the into the winter season. I don't want to wish away fall. No. <laughs> That's for sure. We don't want to push things too fast, but we'll check back with you soon.
1: Look forward to it. Always a pleasure.
0: And before we leave today, I just want to remind you that if you're enjoying the program, please spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. Now we're also on Odyssey. That's spelled A-U-D-A-C-Y. Uh, along with iHeart, uh, of course, we've been on Apple forever, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, we're there. So Seacoast Sports Forum and also our sister program, the Seacoast Forum with Bill Taylor and yours truly. So on behalf of our guest today, Coach Jim Tufts, this
1: is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum.